All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Jallo, joined by RT Sport Online's Jim McMahon. And we're also joined by Graham Gartland and Paul Corey, who are back on the podcast. So I have an interview with Katie McCabe coming up just in a little while. And then we're going to be looking back at the League of Ireland weekend. And also we'll be talking about the small matter of Manchester City versus Liverpool, who are both in Champions League action. But there is the small matter of their game, which is probably going to be title deciding. And Jim, um, before we came on, um, I think you were talking about other drama before we get to the World Cup draw that you were going to be involved in. And it's more literal than, uh, than yeah. the draw itself. Yeah, Raf. Uh, this week uh, in the Teachers Club, which is a venue on Parnell Square in Dublin, some of you may know it. Uh, it's opposite the, quite close to the Rotunda Hospital, where many's a drama has been played out since... Uh, since time began. No, no, I'm just doing a, it's a one act play for a theatre company called Sweet and Dry. Uh, so I haven't been involved since before COVID. So it's just something that I do in my spare time. And it's, you get a great buzz out of it. There's always good people that you're involved with. And hopefully it's something that uh, we can give to the masses out there for people to enjoy. No doubt there'll be, people will be wearing masks probably in the audience. It's quite a confined space, but it's just good to be back like just like going to games, going to rock concerts, going to music, going to whatever people are into, hill walking, whatever. Uh, it's just good that there's some sense of normality that that is back now, even though COVID cases are high. But uh, yeah, it just looking forward to it for the week. And just if you do win an award for this play, like if Graham Gartland was to kind of make a joke at your expense, you're not going to turn around and, uh, you know, uh, kind of let the hands go loose. No, I think I'll if when if Graham has given me the award, I think I'll have my hands tied behind my back uh, and my head will be restrained as well in, in case. So I won't be able to give any kind of a headbutt or any kind of action towards him at all. You know. Good to hear from Graham's perspective there anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> without further ado, the uh, the World Cup draw and, uh, uh, you know, there's no groups of death or anything. And. Obviously, this is the last draw of its kind because of the expansion to 48 teams for the 2026 tournament. I suppose, Graham, looking at it, and I suppose England might be one to look at when we're talking about no groups of death. On paper, it looks relatively easy. But then when you actually drill down, um, England have been in relatively easy groups before and some, somehow kind of got, uh, got unstuck. So this one, it looks trickier than the way it's kind of printed. Yeah, it probably is. But I think with the way England have performed, I, I think any group, the they go into it in the last, obviously with the last performance of the Euros, they're, they're probably confident they're going to come out of it. I think that's that's probably where they're at as a nation now, is that they feel that they're going, they should go into the last eight of most tournaments. And and with all due respect to the to England, they should with the, they've the like you said, the league that they have and the structures that are in place over in that country and the facilities they have. They're one of the biggest footballing nations in the world, so they should be going into the last four and last eight of tournaments regularly. And then, like you said, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the look of the draw, but it's how you perform in the big matches, and that's something that they probably need to learn to do. Is that when they get to these final fours or or even the final, that they actually perform in the game. I think they would probably be disappointed that when they got to the final against Italy, they didn't perform. I think they'll get out of group. I think most of the big teams will get out of group. I can't see anybody. Um, Spain, Germany, Japan. I, I don't even know who's going to go into the playoff. It's a um, there's one other team due to go into that one. That's the only one that you yeah. maybe yeah. see. Like yeah, a that's, really that, that's going to be uh, New Zealand or Costa Rica. So yeah. I think that's probably done and dusted in that way. 
Yeah, so then you're looking at someone someone who wins the group is going to either play Spain or Germany, and that's a tough next game. So mm-hmm. you might see a big team going out just after the group stages. But other than that, it looks like most of the top teams will come through, which is, to be honest, that's probably what the tournament wants. You want to see the top teams playing each other when there's, when there's something at stake in the final stages. And Paul, in terms of good games that we can at least be guaranteed, Spain-Germany doesn't really get bigger than that. Yeah, that, that should be a mouth-watering game. And if you if you remember back, I think it was Germany played Hungary in, in the Euros where, uh, you know, everything was on the line and it came down to the last last game in the group and it, and it threw up a, a funny performance. So, yeah, I mean, like Graham has said, when you look at them on paper, the majority of the top teams should go through. But even if you look Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon in Group G, that should be a fairly tight type of group. Um, Brazil have obviously done very well in qualifying. Serbia were in our own group and finish ahead of Portugal. So you look at their top two, Mitrovic and Vlahovic, somebody that, that you can't root out in that group. And Switzerland, by and large, have been pretty efficient with qualifying for these tournaments, similar to a Poland in that sense, but seem to maybe falter or fail when they get to the group stages. So yeah, listen, there's some big games and, and there will be some results that will surprise people. And there might be a top team who maybe drops out of the group stages, but looking at it on paper, um, it, it is set up for, for those top seeds really to progress in, into the last 16. And Jim, last week we had Stephen Elliott on and he was making the point that just with the heat that is expected in Qatar, even in November and December, that it adds a premium for the likes of Brazil and Argentina. But if we look back, I think it's not since 2000, it's 20 years essentially this year since mm. a non-European team won the World Cup. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to change. The one thing about a lot of the players from... Brazil and Argentina, they're not necessarily, you don't get that kind of club mentality because they're all no. kind of spread around Europe. So it makes it a little bit harder for them, albeit both of those teams are in good form. Yeah. Um, I think you could say, Raph, that for the 2022 renewal, that it's probably likely that a team from Europe is going to win it again. The, the only caveat I'll bring into this World Cup, Raph, is that the players from all across the globe will have stopped playing in their respective leagues, I think eight stroke nine days before the tournament starts. So what bearing that's going to have, I don't even know they'll get to play any friendlies before the tournament starts. Uh, you know, so, uh, but I can see beyond, a, beyond a, just thinking about in terms of the groups, there's a possibility that England could play France at the quarterfinal stage. So that's one match. So a big hitter could go out at that stage. Uh, but I think it's this is a very unusual World Cup. I mean, the, like the, the fact that the teams aren't having any kind of sufficient prep before it starts, you know, that probably has never happened before because normally teams get about a three-week break between the end of the season and the start of a tournament. So there are things about this World Cup where it's been held in Qatar and, and all that, that it kind of feels, as some people it's saying, it's a World Cup, but there's something not right about it still at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And it's the last World Cup of its kind because it's the last one that we'll have these eight groups of four in. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, you could probably narrow it down. Well, I can't say narrow it down, Raph, but I think there's about half a dozen teams that are capable of winning that World Cup. I'd put Argentina probably ahead of Brazil at the moment as the best team from outside Europe to win it. Yeah, I suppose just on that, um, Graham, I don't know if the draw will have changed your view on who you might have thought ahead of time was going to win it, but uh, who is your tip? And, and I know we're more than six months out, but um, you know, there's no harm in kind of uh, having to look ahead that way. Like, yes, I, I think what Jim, Jim makes a very good point there. Like, does the 
there's no preparation going into it in terms of getting the squads together and on the, on the from outside of it. You don't know what's going to happen and what injuries are going to come up going into it now because they're playing right up to the to the start of the tournament. Um, it's hard to see France. I, it's a tough question because I'm I'm looking at Spain, Germany, France, Belgium, Argentina. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know who to call this. <laughs> you can't pick them all. No, but I'm trying. I'm think. I'm, I can't. Or what I'm trying to say is like, say Spain, Germany, Belgium. Right? They're the three European teams with France that I think have a chance, and then Argentina outside of that. But. Whether Belgium are going all in on this one because it's the last of their golden generation to try and win something, that that probably feel like there's a it's a last chance for that group of players. So, um, but I just yeah, I'm gonna go with Spain actually. I'm gonna go with the weather on this one in Spain. The fact mm. that they keep the ball so well and and will just pass the, pass the ball to death. I probably think Spain might have a, a resurgence and, and and go and win it. Yeah, they had a good Euros as well. Uh, Paul, did the draw change the way you see this tournament going in terms of the likely winner or likely finalist? It's very hard to predict uh, in the sense that you don't know what sort of form players or teams are going to be coming into this in, in six months' time. I, I tend to agree with Gartz. I think Spain have a really good chance. I thought they were super in, in the Euros and there's probably a number of players within that squad who will be much the better of, of the, the 12 months more experience. If you think the likes of a Pedri or even a Gavi who could step up still young and, and very much in the early stages of their career, but the type of player could really step up at this sort of stage and always France, to be honest with you. I think when you look at the squads on paper and you look at the 11 with Mbappe up top, Giroud seems to find form anytime he puts on a French jersey, whether they go Benzema, Griezmann. They've got so many options in, in, in the final third of the pitch that they'll tend to win games. And they were, you know, if, if you take away their performance, I think it was Switzerland who knocked them out in the, in the European Championships and penalties. I think they had about a 15, 20-minute period where they just threw the game away and let Switzerland back into it. Pogba losing the ball and in a terrible position, let Switzerland back into it. Bar that, they were pretty good in the tournament. And I think... When you look at the just the quality they have all around the pitch, Kante in the middle with Pogba tends to work quite well. Varane seems to play with confidence when he plays in that French jersey. They have so many options and so many different players that they can plug into to different positions if they were to leave one out. So I think for me, one of those two teams going with guards as well, they keep the ball so well in that sort of weather. Um, you would have to fancy one of them. Yeah, I think your point about Varane playing with confidence in the French jersey. I think everybody plays with confidence when they're not wearing a Man United jersey at the moment, the yeah. way things are. Um, so, but yeah, sorry, Jim, go on. Sorry, Raph, are we ruling England out then, folks? I mean, are, are they not part of the four or five countries that you, you mentioned there? Spain, Belgium, Germany, France. I mean, England probably don't have that much to improve on from the Euros to go on and win this thing. I just think they don't perform and the, when the big game yeah. comes around I think there's yeah. a lack of a performance where they go right we're really going to seize the moment here and, and I, I've always just thought they've lacked that and it's something that they've probably lacked since the last one of tournament that that ability to perform on the biggest game um, you've seen in the last it's, like Paul makes a good point is that Spain performed really well and got knocked out, but the performance in the game against Italy was really good. Mm. France's performance for 70% of the game against Switzerland was really good. But with with England, they're getting knocked out, but they're not even performing. You're not thinking they're unlucky to lose the game here. I didn't think they were unlucky to lose the game against Italy. Didn't think they were lucky to lose the game against Croatia. I thought they didn't perform on the day. And that's my worry is that when it comes down to the game, 
they're not putting in a performance. There's a bit of a fear, a fearfulness about them when it gets to the fun, to the to the deciding game, whatever that one might be for them. I think on that as well, uh, particularly with the European Championships, they had a very favourable draw to get to get to the final. I know they beat Germany in in the round of sixteen, but I think then they went on to play Denmark and Ukraine on on yeah. to the final. So. <laughs> So every game was at home, Paul. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And even in the World Cup, I think they had it was Sweden, and then they maybe played. And they played Colombia in the last Colombia. Yeah, Sweden. So, so they probably haven't beaten that top bracket that that we speak of when you talk about countries who are in contention. If that's probably the the final piece of the jigsaw that they look at, that they need to beat the likes of a France. And if you're going to win a competition like this, you have to beat that type of opposition. And that would be the one question that I would still have around around that England side. Yeah, and I think the other the other thing as well, they've never really produced in recent times a proper deep line playmaker. Like you look at the Italy team that beat them had Jorginho and Verratti, mm. who are like some of the best in the world in that position. And then also Croatia. I mean, who's better than Luka Modric at his peak? I mean, it's not too many. And they have Rice and Phillips, great midfielders in their own right, but very different in that sense. So I don't like that thing. The point you were making about them trying to keep the ball, I think, is probably valid in that they don't really have that. That's not really their style. Um, in in any case, so we'll see how we'll see how all these teams go anyway. But we're hopefully going to see the Republic of Ireland in the Women's World Cup the following year. And Katie McCabe is the captain. I uh, I have been speaking to her. She's a Dove Self Esteem Project Ambassador for 2022. So we talked about club and international matters, and also the Dove Self Esteem Project as well. All right, Katie McCabe, thanks a million uh, for joining me. I know you're kind of at the busy start of an international break now and obviously an important game for Ireland coming up next week or next Tuesday uh, to be specific but um, you're the Dove Self-Esteem Project Ambassador for 2022 so maybe just to start on that what prompted you to get involved and why do you feel this issue is so important? Yeah look I think like it's the well it's the second year running now the Dove Self-Esteem Project Um, and for me to come up or kind of team up with Dove I think is really exciting Um, I suppose the campaign background is kind of the aim of helping young people in Ireland reach their full potential and like provide supportive resources um, to kind of help foster that pod, pod, uh, positive body image and self-esteem from an early age. And they've conducted kind of different research within that. Um, and the research is, uh, yeah, it's quite quite staggering, really. Like you hear of like six and ten boys and nine and ten girls kind of, they don't have a high body self-esteem. So for Dove to kind of, for me to team up with Dove is, is really exciting to try to try obviously progress that. Yeah, you mentioned the you know the staggering numbers, and I have some of it in front of me here. So from Dove's research, like seventy <coughs> percent of girls and sixty two percent of boys, and this is the ten to seventeen age bracket haven't attended an extracurricular activity because of the way they feel about their appearance. That's quite stark. And then, like I suppose from your point of view, you found sport, so it's an outlet for a lot of people but what do you feel can be done maybe to encourage people to maybe go down that pathway or even if it isn't sport maybe something else like you know musical instruments all that other kind of stuff or drama uh, or whatever it is yeah like for me I think growing up obviously through my own personal experience like I obviously loved sport and and that's what I was really passionate about so I would always kind of join those extracurricular activities when it when it came to sport and for me it was about at the time, especially in secondary school, encouraging people that maybe were interested in music or art to kind of try football and um, because they might like it. Look, you don't have to be the best at it, but you might enjoy that kind of the social aspect of it, the team camaraderie, the changing room. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so much more to 
just playing the game um, yeah working in a team um, winning together losing together all that kind of dynamic as well and obviously that's something why I'm still playing football is because is I love that um, that part of it kind of sharing those experiences with people um, but for me it was always about encouraging other people um, that they, if, they, if they're not as comfortable with it um, just to try it because um, yeah you might find one thing you like about it yeah, and it's taken you on adventures from captaining your country to, you know, winning trophies for your club, Arsenal. And I was just looking at the the Super League table at the moment. And I don't know, are you the type of player that actually look because you know you, you interview people over the years and there's some people who will say like they don't look at the table, but I don't know, it would be hard for you to miss it, I guess, because it's just how close yourselves and Chelsea are at the moment. Like, is it how tense is it like within like I suppose you can only speak about the Arsenal side, but is it a case of you're just having to focus on yourselves and kind of ignore Chelsea. Yeah, look, I think that's that's what we always do. We always we can only kind of control what we can control, and that's how we perform and train every day. Um, as you said, you touched on the 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 close title race, and um, to be honest, I don't kind of pay much attention because when you're playing for Arsenal and I'm wearing that red shirt, you know the pressure is on every game, no matter what's at stake um, to, to win those matches. That's the history of the club. It's the culture that's been that's been embedded into the club. And you feel that weight when you, you put the shirt on. So it's always, um yeah, it's always very proud for me putting on the shirt and representing the club when I can. Um, and you know you're always going to be competing for tri- uh, trophies every season. And, and that's what's important to us. Yeah, and you have an FA Cup game against Chelsea as well coming up um, after the international yeah, semi-final, break. Yeah, yeah semi-final. And with the way the last, and I remember watching the the last final um, and how it ended. Um, does it sort of play into your mind? Does revenge, do emotions like that come into it, or is it more just you know you're that big a club that it's just another game and you just have to take it on its own merits? Yeah, look, we were obviously extremely hurt. It's never nice losing a final, um, especially in the manner we did. But we've we don't have to prove anything to anyone else. It's it's proven it to ourselves. We know we're capable. We know we can perform at um an elite level. Um, we've got the players to do so and the staff to help us get there too. So it's all about just kind of concentrate on on what we can do um and how best to prepare ourselves for then. But I'm not actually uh, looking too far ahead to that one yet because obviously I've got a big game against Sweden beforehand, um, which that's my full focus right now. So, um, so yeah, I'm not looking too, uh, too much into the semi-final at the minute. Yeah, but I think you can afford to look back slightly because I'm going to play. You, <laughs> I'm just going to play you the clip now of your goal against Liverpool because um, I know Lisa Fallon, who was on co-commentary on the day because it was on the RT News Channel, um, enjoyed it. But um, obviously, you had the bird's eye view of this. But let's uh, let's give you the excuse of watching it back. Exactly, will take it for Arsenal. Lots of height in that Arsenal penalty area or the Liverpool penalty area. Catley. Takes it, gets it back from Little, better angle to cross. Souza, a big target. Leon Keenan heads it out. Oh, and there's the second goal. That's an incredible strike from Katie McCabe. We mentioned earlier on that she is scoring spectacular goals. Well, there's another one. In the 31st minute, Katie McCabe with an absolute screamer. You would have to say it was coming. But what a moment for Katie McCabe. And they lead 2-0 and they're on their way. What a sensational strike from Katie McKay. Ball comes in, headed clear. She just strikes it on the volley. I mean, what technique. Any player in the world to to take on that shot and hit it with that speed, venom, power and accuracy. 
So I know you said. Big head now. <laughs> I know I heard your voice there saying you don't like watching yourself back, but like I mean, surely like that goal. Um, like, did you watch it back? And would you generally do that at least with goals of that quality? Yeah, I mean, like it's always nice to score goals of that caliber. Um, yeah, they don't come by every week, so when you do, I think it's yeah, you, it's important to enjoy those moments. Um, with your teammates, obviously, you could see I was hugging my teammates. Um. Obviously, just kind of happy to win the game, to be honest, and happy it went in and not into the stand. Uh, we're actually giving uh, Leanne Kiernan a bit of stick because she was the one that headed it out to me. Uh, obviously, she's my Irish teammate as well. So, Lee Fahey kind of said to me after the game too, would you not have left that for another day? So, now, uh, now it was a good, good crack, obviously, between the Irish girls. Um, but look, even Liverpool, obviously, they've just... Uh, They've just won the WSL two, and they'll be up in WSL um, with us next season. And it'll be, uh, yeah, obviously more Irish players in the league as well. Great club, which which Liverpool is. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting, exciting year next year. Yeah, and uh, also I was watching, um, I was watching Arsenal in the Champions League last week, just the second leg against Wolfsburg. So commiserations on that, but. I think in other ways, um, in terms of just how tight, tactical and tense it was, I, I presume it's good preparation for the Sweden game in a way, because mentally you're so attuned in a game like that. And it's just kind of staying on that level. Yeah, look, in those those games, like quarterfinals of Champions League, like it's a game of fine margins. Um, you need to be disciplined in, in what you have to do defensively and going forward to to execute the game plan. Um, and unfortunately for us, obviously, Wolfsburg um, enjoyed their day um, and obviously progressed through to the semi-finals, but it's, it's good learnings from us. Um, we can only kind of, as I said, learn from it and, and grow as a team. And you have to experience those low uh, moments together as a team to progress into the, the high moments. So, um, yeah, as I said, lots of learnings from it. Um, and from me individually, obviously, It'll be um yeah really important to kind of bring that level of game up and up into the Sweden game next week. Yeah, because twenty twenty one ended extremely well. The eleven nil win against Georgia and Tala, which was uh, just brilliant from an Irish perspective. But you know the there's a huge gap then to the Sweden game. But fortunately, in between, there's the Pinatar Cup and also there's the training camps you would have had. So, <laughs> how crucial was the Pinatar Cup? Um, in terms of getting the squad back together and getting a bit more momentum back? It's so important, I think, for us to have those uh, 10 days together as a team. Like, obviously, we had the three games. It's a real opportunity for, for players that maybe don't get minutes um, in quite a few games when it's, like, obviously qualifying games for them to play then at these tournaments and kind of get that in, international experience and... I feel like um yeah we made some some good steps in the camp um to kind of really set us up for where we need to be for next week against Sweden. And from Vera Pau's preparation, is it more about tweaking um and kind of honing what you've done before, or do you kind of work on alternative game plans as well? Because obviously you've You'll had have the to first. Ask her that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I suppose yeah. Oh, well, actually, fair point. But I suppose from from your perspective, anyway, in terms of what you work on, um, do you look at maybe alternative game plans sometimes? Just because you've had the first block of games, and then obviously teams kind of will look at each other and kind of work out maybe particular game plans that have worked before. Yeah, look, obviously we know Sweden and, and what they represent are the second best team in the world. So we know it's it's going to be a, a difficult task to go out there. They're playing in front of their home crowds. Um, you can say everything's kind of stacked against us, to be honest. But 
we know the qualities we have within our team um, and also we know their strengths too and for us on Tuesday night it'll be about nullifying um, their strengths and, and really trying to show what we can do um, as well going forward. Yeah, and some people have been describing it sort of as a free hit for Ireland. I I kind of doubted that you would look at it that way. Obviously, you play for a club like Arsenal where there's pressure every week to win. And obviously, the standards that have improved in terms of the Ireland team now and the results you've picked up, can you really look at it as a free hit? I know, as you've said, Sweden are the second best team in the world. And, you know, they've, they've, won, they've won loads over the years. But if for Ireland to get where we want to be, is it a case of just kind of, not thinking in terms of free hits. Well, ultimately, where we want to be is at a national, is at a, a major tournament, and fundamentally, to get to a major tournament, we need to have these big results against these big teams. Whether that's a win or a draw, um, you need to you need to get those types of results, and um, we don't go out to lose games at all, and um, we go out to compete. Um, we're a, a very very good side um, on our day, and when we stick to our strengths and um, we've got some really exciting players within our team, really experienced players in our team um, that have the experience of playing against those high ranked opposition, um, Netherlands, Germany, USA, um, Spain, you name it, we've played against them. So we have that experience and it's about controlling what we've to control on Tuesday night and uh, obviously doing it to the best of our ability. And how big a blow is losing Savannah McCarthy because she'd worked her way into the squad and she's been impressive in that defence. And unfortunately, just in the injury happened uh, at an inopportune time for herself and also for the Irish squad. Yeah, look, I'm gutted for Sav. Um, she's come back into the team and done really, really well. Um, I've obviously been playing beside her. She's been playing the left side of uh, the three and I've played the, the left wing back role. And um, yeah, she's look. She, you know what she she can bring. She's solid as a rock. Um, she go, <laughs> she run through a brick wall, especially for our country and our teammates as well. And um, we're gutted to lose her. Um, as I'm sure Galway are too. She'll be. She was paramount for their team in the women's national league. And um, we can only support her and, and wish her the best in her recovery. And obviously, we'll be here to to help her um, in any way we can as teammates. Yeah, as you said, the Pinatar Cup in terms of adding to squad depth and if there are injuries, I think Dan Caldwell is also going to be missing as well. But to bring in new players, so Abby Larkin, who was chatting to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Chloe Mustaki, who after everything she's come through to get to win her first cap and now to work her way into the squad is brilliant. But what have you made of the newcomers and how they've adapted to the squad? Yeah, look, I think um, obviously I've played with Chloe before at underage, underage level, so I know, um, yeah, I know what she brings to the team on and off the pitch, her mentality, how she works. Um, so I think it's it's great for us to have her back in the squad now again. And obviously we spoke about Sav's injury. Obviously through injury, then there's opportunities for other people. Um, and I think Chloe done a terrific job back in uh, in Pinatar Cup to, to really deserve our place then again in the squads um, obviously with it, like Abby Larkin I know she's she's quite young so for her it's just about continuing to get the head down keep working um, and then enjoy the moments when she gets called up um, and enjoy learning from the experience that she's surrounded by because um, if I was a 16 year old 17 year old kid and um, a senior setup like that I'd be uh, yeah, absorbing everything I can and asking questions so I think it's just important for her to, to kind of keep the head down and keep working.
Yeah, and over the last few weeks on the podcast, I've been speaking to Courtney Brosnan and Diane Caldwell, obviously your teammates, and the same. I always ask the same question. I suppose it's the final point I'll put to you. It's you know, you ha- in the Euro qualifiers, you came quite close and just missed out, and now fast forward, you're in a kind of similar position at the halfway point when you're where you're in a really good position in terms of potentially getting into a playoff position. What do you feel you learned from that previous campaign that you feel this time will give you an edge and you'll be able to, to secure that second place? Well, I always kind of say you never lose, you learn. Um, and with that campaign, obviously, we were all heartbroken. We felt we really could have um, got to that first major tournament at the time. And um, obviously, the the game out in Ukraine uh, didn't go our way, but it wasn't it wasn't it wouldn't have been won or lost there. Um, obviously, we had slipped up um, in previous games, um, which was obviously unfortunate. But uh, for us, that obviously going into this campaign, we've got we've got four games left, um, and we need to kind of concentrate on each one um, at an absolute maximum um, and try obviously nullify the opposition as much as we can and 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 really show our strengths on the night um going forward it's obviously Sweden Georgia and then the double header at home as well so we just need to make sure we're putting ourselves in a position for um at least a playoff um come September yeah and best of luck with that obviously we're all going to be behind you so that's on 12th of April against Sweden so Katie McCabe thanks a million for taking the time and enjoy your uh, busy week Thank you. Cheers, mate. All right, that is Ireland captain Katie McCabe. Ireland back in qualification action against Sweden on the 12th of April. And hopefully, given that the Irish team are currently second in the group, that they're able to continue what they did in the first half of the campaign in this second half and go on to qualify and reach the playoffs. But that'll be starting with Sweden on the 12th of April. But anyway, first off now, we've got the uh, Premier Division results in the SSE Artristy League. It's time to talk domestic matters. At the weekend, Shamrock Rovers won 3-0 at Finn Harps. Dundalk beat UCD 2-0. Bohemians lost 2-1 at home to Derry City. Sligo Rovers were beaten by Shelburne at home. And St. Patrick's Athletic and Drada United drew 1-1. So starting off with Bohemians and Derry City. So James Akintunde with a stoppage time winner. That's the third stoppage time winner for Derry City this season. And uh, after wins over Shamrock Rovers and Pats and that is probably a show of mental strength. But before we get to that, let's listen to Rory Higgins first, see what he had to say after the game. Uh, congratulations, yet another late winner. Yeah, late winner. Um, but I felt it was deserved. I felt the, the first half was quite even. Second half, we were relentless and, 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 and I think we deserved our three points. It says a lot about the character of the team to keep going to the well, though, to get the winner. Yeah, character, yet fi- again. character fitness, uh, togetherness, um, quality. Uh, so we've... Uh, I think over the course of the game we've definitely deserved the three points. It took you a while to get going, mind you, because Bulls were very good, especially in that opening 25 minutes when they got in front. I felt, I, I didn't feel there was an awful lot in it. They had shots from distance. Brian made a couple of good saves. They've got a great goal, but we clawed our way into the game, sort of the back end of the first half. We, we got momentum in the game and we continued it for the next 45 minutes and, and, and pinned them in and they struggled to get out of their half and we've, we've deserved to win the game, there's no doubt about that. And just a word on James Akintunde who, who got the, the decisive goal. Uh, he got a great goal for us here last year um, and uh, sometimes 
players have, have clubs that they score goals against and, and James scored. The, I think the three substitutions made a massive impact on the game and, and delighted for James because he's a special person. And Rory, there's no let up. The turnaround is very quick. UCD, you're back in Dublin again on Monday. Back in Dublin again on Monday. I'd be interesting if a, a Dublin club had to go Friday, Monday, the, the Harps and, and, and Derry, that would be an interesting moment. But we're used to it as part of what we do. And I think it's even more special when you can get on the road with three points and and, and have a laugh in the bus on the way home. Well done tonight. Thank you. That is Derry City Manager Rory Higgins speaking to Adrian Eames after the 2-1 win at Bohemians. Uh, Graham, I suppose in regards to Derry City, and as I said before we played the clip, that's three um, stoppage time winners that they've scored. And that's a quality we were talking about Shamrock Rovers last season. It kind of speaks to the ability they have in the squad, but also more importantly, the sort of resilience and the, I suppose the mental strength they have. And the determination to just not be happy to settle for a, for a draw, even though they're away from home, I think that gives them, you, you can tell that they're really sort of buying into what Rory has this year and you feel that they can have a title push. And when you feel that early with a group, you feel like every game is you have to win. Um, there they probably do feel like that because they know that there's, there is, they're in a title fight with, with Sean McGrovers and so they're, they're going to push to the last minute of every game to make sure that they get wins because... Like you said, they're probably looking, walking in, looking to see the rover, how rovers get on, because that's what happens when you're when you're challenging for titles. You're, you're always constantly uh, trying to outdo the other team that you're up against. But they've shown great character, and I, I, it's great that he touches on that from his players. That you know, really good character to make sure they come back and stay in the games. But they've been really good this year. Not only that, they've they've lost two of their really good players as well. Duffy broke his leg, and it's Hark in the midfield got a bad ACL injury as well. So. They're two big players for them, and it just shows you the togetherness and and the um, camaraderie in the squad that they're able to to keep getting um, last minute winners. And Paul, just on Rory Higgins himself, I think we kind of touched on it previously, but he just remains quite level headed, which makes it, I suppose, added with that character. And even despite the fact that they're top of the table, they're not. Um, I suppose they're not going to lose the run of themselves necessarily. And it's not a case of like they're putting pressure on themselves to win this title because. I think they're looking at the longer term project of next season and beyond. Yeah, I mean, he's playing it very well. And that's probably what you'd expect that he'd want to deflect any sort of pressure away from his players. But I think whether it's in their play or just in Rory and how he speaks, there seems to be a real sort of calmness and confidence about what it is they're doing up there. Um, and that probably speaks of how Rory would have played the game. You know, they're very expressive. They like to get the ball down, make the pitch nice and wide. And they've made the Brandywell now a difficult place to go. <clears throat> I think when you look then at the players that they've added to what it is they built towards the end of last season, they've, they've got a much stronger squad and they're in a much better position than they were last year. And that's probably evidenced in, in the three players that they brought on the other day. McElhenney came on the bench. Akintunde came off the bench. And Matty Smith came off. Or came on, so you know that's that's real strength and depth, and that that helps when um, you know maybe you're in a tight game like that the other night, and you're able to bring three quality players onto the pitch and, and give you maybe an extra gear, and those types of results that you touched on that that gives you confidence, that, that builds momentum, and it gives belief throughout the squad. So a really strong uh, start to the season. It probably doesn't surprise me because I thought what he was building there towards the end of last season gave you enough kind of indicators that they would be a team that would progress. And uh, they've obviously had investments. They've added players to that squad. And, uh, you know, it's been a really impressive start to the season for Derry. Yeah, and Bohemians, on the other hand, under a little bit of pressure, but they have an opportunity to bounce back pretty quickly with a rearranged game against Liger Rovers. Let's just listen to their manager, Keith Long. Keith, how frustrating is that? Because any time you concede a goal in, in injury time like that, it's a real blow, isn't it? A body blow. 
Yeah, um, it undoes all the good work that we that went on previously in the game, particularly in the first half. Um, yeah, we've conceded two bad goals, second half, don't defend the back post well enough um, for the first goal and then the concession of a cheap free kick. Um, and, and then we don't do our jobs as set piece, we don't pick up. And uh, yeah, we're suffering a little bit tonight, there's no doubt about that. We probably should get something out of the game. I thought there was lots of positives in the in the first half performance. We wanted to come out in the second half and get, get another goal. Um, we didn't quite function as cohesively in the second in the second half as we did in the first half. So, um, but, but basic errors are costing us just at this minute. I think, um, you know, uh, it's too easy for us to concede goals. Um, at this moment in time and, and obviously that's a collective responsibility but ultimately it's mine as manager you know I put the team I select the team I recruit the players and you know it's uh, we're working extremely hard to try and get things right unfortunately tonight we didn't hang on uh, for a point that, which I felt we would have deserved overall um, uh, and listen you, you know we've got to we got to get ourselves re- ready for Sligo on Tuesday how hard is it when, when maybe things aren't going for you because you have so many draws so far this season, just the one win. You, you played very well in, in the first half, got a terrific goal, lovely move and a great finish from Liam Burt as well. But then the second half, obviously Derry came on strong. They're a very good side and you'd expect them to, you know, to have a spell of dominance as well. But is there a sense of frustration the way the season has started because you had to bring in so many new players as well? Yeah, well, listen, uh, on the game tonight, we need to be stronger. You need to... You need to defend do the bases of the game well defend uh, crosses into your box um you know stay disciplined in terms of your defensive responsibilities do deal with the basics well um and and we're not quite doing that at, at this moment in time um turnover staff is is nothing new in, in recent years we we've had to face that um you know it's very hard isn't it Keith year in year out trying to to, to rebuild listen, I, we've lost 2-1 you know had we won tonight and you asked me the same question I can get after that a little bit more we've lost and so I've I'm responsible for recruitment at the club I'm responsible for bringing new players in um sometimes players leaving is outside of your control a lot of the time it's outside of your control so uh, it is frustrating obviously you're trying to build something and, and year on year you you have to try and uh, you know reinvent the wheel to a certain extent you know there's only so many players that go around the league and um, you know there's lots of different things there's lots of um, uh, reasons as to, as to why ultimately you know we're working with the players that we have we're working hard with the players that we have um, they're short of a little bit of confidence um, at just at this moment in time uh, it would have been a nice boost for them tonight to come off against Derry like I said who yeah. are a good side and, and you know full of experienced players and lots of quality you know to come away with a point tonight you know would have been you know I think deserved for, for our overall performance but it's undone by some poor defending and, and ultimately, like I said, it's my responsibility uh, for that. That is Bohemian's manager, Keith Long. As he said in the clip, they actually played quite well initially and then just, I suppose, Derry City's strength and depth kind of showed. But that is a fifth game without a win for Bowes and they've only got one all season and before they play Sligo on Tuesday. And uh, Graham, when we look at the fixture list of what's coming up, there is an opportunity there to bounce back um, after the Sligo game in regards to the draw the United game away, which is going to be tough. Finn Harps away, always a tough trip. And then also, or, or Finn Harps at home, sorry, and then Shelburne away as well before the next derby. So they really need to get a win of some sort in that next three games. Yeah, win by hook or by crook, really, at this stage. Um, you could see, like you said, you, they performed so well in the first half and then the, the first goal kills them and then the momentum is all with Derry. Um, obviously, when Derry equalised, the momentum goes with them and you can see them just dropping back further and further and they're nearly trying to 
hold off and hold on to a, a one-all draw just to build something, just to have something that he can have in terms of a point. Um, the last goal you can see is really poor. I, I, I think that the defensively they looked really poor. I thought the keeper might have done better with it as well when I look back on it. But like you said, he's just trying to get them together. I know he's he's under a lot of scrutiny at the moment, Keith, and it, like he touched on it himself. Very hard to keep doing what he's doing when he's losing that much quality. Not just quality in terms of the the, the type of player he's losing, like that's going to higher levels like Georgie Kelly and Ross Tierney, who are really high quality level players, but even characters like Buckley and, and Cornwall, who's left who would have been leaders in that group. So um to try and keep knitting them together every season to make sure that they're competitive all the time, it's a tough gig for them. And and I I feel from a little bit, but I also know that there's a lot of Bohemians people that want them to get better results and I understand that as well. But again, what 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 what's key to do here when he keeps losing the, that amount of players every season? Yeah, Paul, I suppose just on that point as well, though on the flip side, I suppose uh, Keith Long is probably the his best place to kind of find the answers to problems because he's been here before in terms of losing players. And he knows the circumstances of the, of the club, maybe than somebody coming in from outside. So really, it's just a case of uh, them, I suppose, the squad sort of trusting in, in, in Keith and then just kind of working along with him. And maybe and eventually probably they will get a, get out of this rut, especially once they get a bit of cohesion after a few games. Yeah, 100 percent. And, uh, you know, so, some of the things that you might see going around social media about Keith Long and, and his job being under pressure is just absolutely ridiculous. It's just when Garth starts naming some of the players, I actually forgot one or two, like Satirney, who's actually gone, Andy Lyons gone, Keith Ward has gone. Like when you take that number of players out of any squad, it's very difficult to continue to rebuild. And Keith Long has shown over the last three, four or five years that he is capable of doing that job. So he's absolutely the right man to, to get them going again. I think the game on, on, on Friday night is probably best summed up by the goal that they scored. You know, they, they're having to work so hard to actually score a goal. The move was brilliant, the way they worked it through midfield. Then there was a lovely third man run and, and it was finished off really well. And then you look at the two goals that they've conceded and it's, it's a bit of a soft ball into the box. Nobody's kind of commanding. They're not really high enough up the pitch sometimes to, to squeeze out of that space. And they're coughing up goals. And when you take Georgie Kelly out of the side, there's there's a massive gap there as well. I think they've only scored more than one goal on, on one occasion this season and they've only kept one clean sheet. So you don't have to go very far to actually look at the areas that they need to improve. It's in both boxes. I've no doubt they'll get it right. It's it's a lot of new players that they're blooding together. It, it does just take maybe a, a graft or just a, maybe a... Uh, uh, maybe a not so sexy three points to just kickstart things for them and once they do I, I've no doubt that uh, they'll start picking up points and moving up, up the table where they'll end up is um, is hard to know because it, you can't really see them challenging with the likes of a, a Derry or, or Shamrock Rovers this moment in time but Keith Long is absolutely the man to, to turn that one around and Graham I think they just need to look across at Shelburne to see like once, you, once you're on a bad run um you know, uh, one result can really change the mood and Shelburne went and beat a really good Sligo Rovers team 1-0, uh, Daniel Carr penalty and again it's like by hook or by crook, it doesn't really matter how it happens as long as, as you get the win, so from Damien Duff's perspective and for Shelburne's perspective after that uh, difficult run of results um, it was just a perfect result for them I think they just went and set out their stall and said we're going to be difficult to beat here and, and not give up, they, they can see three goals against Finn Harps and you could tell obviously there was an international break then and I'd say I know Joey Joey O'Brien well enough to know that he would have been really upset about conceding three goals and 
we would have probably got to work on them during them two weeks to make sure they were a little bit more well drilled and a little bit more decisive in terms of like Paul said about even in their own box and making sure they get to the ball and that early at the pitch and they go to I was actually down in Sligo on Saturday because um, they're the 14s are playing there and, and I, we, we saw the pitch and it, and it is really poor like it's a poor standard of pitch for, for the level it's on so it's a great excuse probably to go and say, well, we're not going to try and play out too much here because there's no point to just putting yourself in trouble. Um, so from that point of view, Shells just went down there, set out the stall and going away and winning 1-0 from a defender's point of view is, is one of the best results you can get. It's great. And Paul, those type of results, I suppose they can galvanise the squad as well when you kind of, especially when it's sort of a gritty, a gritty win. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd say that that defeat to, to Finn Harp sort of would have hurt them as well. And I'm probably not too surprised, to be honest with you, with how Shells' season has panned out. I, I kind of predicted that at the start of the season, that it, it'd be a bit of a mixed bag that some weeks, uh, you know, they'll, they'll produce and they'll perform and they'll have results. In other weeks, it might just look like a bit of an experiment with, with, with what it is they're trying to do. Um, I think what you will find is that they'll be very... Um, confident in their principles of how they want to play the game. I, you know, I'm a big believer in, in what Duffer has done. I worked with him at Shamrock Rovers, and I think he's got you know really good vision of how he wants to play, but also not afraid to mix it up, like Gart said. And I'd say the pitch probably made up their mind on Friday night of how it is they were going to play. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really really strong result for for Shells, and uh, maybe something that could kickstart to pick up a couple of more points, but. Another side who you wouldn't really fear of being in danger. Uh, I think they'll get better as the season goes on and what they will look to do over the next 6, 12, 18 months is just add one or two bodies in any window that they have and pick up from there. So a really good performance, uh, a really good result, and it's certainly one that they can build on. And Jim, from Sligo Rovers' perspective, I mean, yes, it's a defeat, but you know they've, they've been on a great run at the start of this season. Maybe the only kind of blow there, we'll have to just see the extent of the injury, but Aidan Keena, who's That's uh, right, the player yeah. of the month and uh, who has been brilliant so far this season, we'll see how, how that goes. But there won't be any panic from Liam Buckley's point of view, just with the way they've started. And also, they seem to have built a really good squad there. Yeah, I don't think there will be any panic, but it's... Like last Friday, they were quite listless, though. I, mean, I don't think they had a shot of note until the, until the 82nd minute. So uh, that would have been disappointing in front of their own fans. Uh, they have a chance to pick up, I mean, tomorrow night against Bohemians. And I think they're at home to the students at the weekend. So, like, they'll be, they'll be targeting six points. I mean, and if they get those six points, they'll be second or third in the table. But the injury to Keena, I don't know what the situation is, whether he'll be available to play tomorrow night. But if he was absent, uh, that would be a big blow. Uh, you know, so like, I mean, uh, they have other players in the squad like Adam McDonald and Seamus Kyo, whether whether they can kind of step up and, you know, get the goals or not. I don't know. But, Zealand, uh, the New Zealand lad, Jim. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Max Mata, he's the one that Max, would come in. Oh, sorry. Yeah. One. Yeah. That's him. Yeah. Um, but um I would I wouldn't be pushing the panic button yet, but uh, Friday night was quite flat by all accounts. Yeah, and, um, and obviously as well wrapped the pitch. I mean, I think they did get work done on it in the preseason that they wanted to get done on it, and it tends to rain up in Sligo perhaps a bit more than it does on the east and south coast, and it's, it's been raining heavy there for the, the last twenty four hours as uh, as well. So. Uh, People have given out about the pitch. I think Stephen O'Donnell, the Dundalk manager, was quite critical of it when when they played there back in February. So uh, it's something that hopefully Sligo can get the surface in 
better, Nick. Yeah, it, it, it definitely rains more in the northwest. I'd grown up. Um, <laughs> just I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't quantify it. But it just always yeah. felt like uh, just up yeah. in Leitrim, like it just rains more than uh, down yeah. here in Dublin. But uh, anyway, yeah. as I said, I can't quantify that. I'm not really a weatherman. But um, no. Pat's uh, Pat's Andrade drew one one, and um, I could think we can just refer to this as the Tim Clancy Derby, uh, just with uh, the managerial merry-go-round over the over the winter. Um, Graham, I suppose from Pat's point of view, they're still in contention obviously it, a draw maybe at home to draw that maybe doesn't look good on paper but the fact is they came from behind and then managed to get a result so you know it's not it's it's not all bad yeah I, they've had a real indifferent start I, I watched them in the president's cup against rovers and i thought they were excellent on the day really really good and then they, i think they win the first game away to shelbourne and then they lose the next two and then the um then they come back they come roaring back with results where you think oh they're good Again, um, if they can keep their main players fit, they, they've, they've, um, they've a really good chance. Lennon in the midfield with, with, with Forrester seems to be the one that if they can keep them two together, it's a really good midfield pairing. Um, Doyle, the two Doyles, Mark Doyle has come in and hit the ground running from Drogheda. He looks an exciting player off the left. Obviously, they lost Matty Smith, um, Bournes and Billy King then. so But it's about keeping their players fit. Um, as much as they can because underneath that I'm not sure what they have um, I think it probably 13, 14 players that would be really high level and then after that it, it's a bit of a drop off so it's about keeping as many players fit as they can they're, they're, they look a little bit more of a goal threat this year obviously with Doyle coming in up the front on Doyle than, than they were last season I know they played Robbie Benson up there a couple of times so they're going to score more goals but I do think they probably can see goals as well so some days they're going to win, win, some weeks they're going to win, and, but I can't see them being consistent enough to be really a challenger at the moment. That would be where I think they're a little bit more consistent on them and I think Rovers are too. Yeah, whereas Drada, Paul, I suppose at the start of the season, it looked a little bit worrying because it just took a while for them to kind of get up and running. But starting with the Derby win over Dundalk, they just seem to have built a little bit of momentum that it would give you a thought that maybe in terms of avoiding the drop, they have, a, they have, they have potential to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's four huge points now that, that they've picked up in those last two games. And <clears throat> I think the majority of us, if we were looking at that before they played, probably would have said that Dundalk would be Jada. And Pats would also pick up three points. So, um, you know, that's that's a major confidence boost. And looking back, I only saw the highlights, but they they created a number of chances um, within that game whereby they could have gone and scored again. So, um, yeah, you can see there's a bit of confidence in their play. You can see, listen, they've, they've lost a number of players off the back of last season. That was expected with how well they've done. But that, uh, particularly the derby win against Dundalk, has obviously given them an, an extra level. And, and looking at the performance against Pats as well, it wasn't the case that it, it was one-way traffic. Yes, Pats were knocking on the door to, to get an equaliser like you would expect. But like I mentioned, there was, there was chances there. Um, the goal that they got was probably one more were Pats to be particularly disappointed. It was really scrappy in, in their own box. I thought that the run wasn't tracked. Then there was uh, probably one or two swipes to clear the ball and Dale Rooney got on the end of it. Um, and what Drahad have shown is they've probably spread the goals around well amongst the team. They probably haven't got a, a number nine who's going to bang in your 10, 15 goals a season. And that, that will also help. Um, but for for their kind of survival chances and looking at, at looking up the table, the four points over the last two weeks or last two match days will certainly give them confidence to do that. 
you know, and talking about spreading out the goals, Shamrock Rovers, I think we've talked about that um, previously with them over the last few seasons. That seems to be the way for them. And Andy Lyons wasn't bought for goals, but uh, a brace up at Finn Harps, Graham, um, especially the second goal is real quality. Yeah, second goal is really good. He, he probably had his best game the week before against Sligo um, when they were 2-0 down and he came back into it and he was the one player that sort of drove them forward especially in the first half when they were losing 2-0. Second half then, he just went up to another gear. I think he got the penalty for them and he got um, he ends up doing really well. And the goal he scores then up in the header is actually a really good header, very, very brave. And then the second goal is really good. He just plays a 1-2, looks like he's going to go on the outside, but takes the run on the inside and then he chops him and puts it away with his left foot. But he's, um, you can tell he sort of took a while to settle in terms of getting used to playing as a, a wing-back, which he probably hasn't done before. Then he's been playing off the left-hand side. Last week against Sligo probably gave him a lot of confidence to them. He took that into the Finn Harps game and he and he, and he done really, really well. Shamrock Grover's played well in the game. They moved the ball well. They kept trying to play and um, control the game with, with the possession side of it. And Because it's a tough place to go, Finn Harps. Um, and, but I thought they were clinical when they got into the final tour, and that was the difference. Yeah, Just on that, on, yeah. on that point, Raf, and, and you say about Andy Lyons and maybe not signing for goals, but for me, the way Shamrock Grove was playing, the fact that they own so much of the possession, I think those wing-back players can easily contribute five, ten goals a season. Um, you know, they're the ones who are typically getting in behind back fours or back fives, and if it goes down one side, what you tend to find is if, say, Andy Lyons is playing uh, right wing-back, it might be Neil Ferrugia come coming in or around the back post and they can absolutely contribute um, based on the way they play. And I think with Andy in particular, <clears throat> you know, like Arts mentioned, he was playing in a four last year. The shackles are somewhat off him now. He's probably not going to have to do as much defending as, as he previously did at Bowes. And, and that is somebody, and, and the fact that he got two last week, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to, to pick up another five, six, seven, eight goals between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and just on the, the final game of the weekend, Paul, um, in regards to Dundalk, what was expected, a routine win over UCD. Um, as I said, it's expected for Dundalk to, to win that game at home. But for UCD, I mean, they still haven't won this season, but their home form has actually been reasonably good in terms of picking up points, uh, well, draws um, for the most part. But um, it, it doesn't look good for them, I suppose, in the long term, though, in terms of staying in the league. I mean, what's their perspective in terms of at least picking up a few points, picking up a few wins in these next few weeks. Yeah, it's looking pretty ominous based on how the first round of fixtures have gone, that it's going to be a long, it's going to be a difficult season. Even during my time at UCD, what you might find is they'll just throw a, a, a result out of, out of nowhere. They'll beat somebody that you, you just won't expect it because they'll perform on the day and they have players, everybody always tends to go with Whelan and Kerrigan, that if, if they produce, they can cause um, teams issues. It is a little worrying. You would like to see them maybe being a little more difficult to beat and maybe get back to basics and just set up and, and, and maybe set up, you know, and be that more of a solid foundation and look to maybe at least grind out a result and do what Drawhead in particular have done over the last two match days and try get a draw and maybe a win and, and go from there. The one extra bit on top of that is Whelan and Kerrigan when it when it comes to the summer. Are they going to be there? They're, that's another two players that they could potentially lose from, from their starting eleven. So it's a very difficult job. It always is. It's a young squad. The, the cream of the crop tend to move on to some of our bigger clubs or across the water and, and you would fully expect that that's going to be the case again. But for the short term and over the next couple of weeks it's it's you just got to be difficult to beat. Uh, maybe don't be as open. Don't be as expansive. Get back to basics and, and try build from there. 
Yeah, and the drop to the first division is what they're trying to avoid. But in terms of results uh, in this weekend's first division, Galway United continuing their good start to the season with a 1-0 win over Cove Ramblers. Waterford, pre-season favourites, uh, have dropped a few points now, but uh, a 1-1 home draw with Longford Town. Wexford losing at home to Cork City, who are continuing to fly up at the top. And then Athlone Town and Bray Wanderers drawing 1-1. So as I said, Cork and Galway continuing to do well, but... Waterford losing a little bit of ground. They're still in contention and you'd still expect them with Ian Morris there to, to push on um, Graham. But it's just, uh, it's, it's a little bit interesting anyway that they seem to have just faltered a little bit in the last couple of games. Yeah, a friend of mine was down watching them in pre-season and said that they had done really, really well. They looked like they were going to be the team to beat and I fully expected with Ian going in there that they, they would have been. Um, Cork have just been galvanised. I know Colin has been on and off as well at times with some personal issues, but I think it's galvanised the squad. He's made some good signs. He brought in the striker from Galway, who seems to be really good for them. Um, watched them play last year, I forget his second name now, but really good. Um, and they seem to, like you said, they just have a bit of momentum at the moment. And, and Galway will be buoyed by the fact that, you know, they've recently, recently agreed a new investment as well, and the players are training and I think even going back to the Bowls and the likes of Galway and Cork are probably training in the mornings and it's probably the one thing that Bohemians aren't doing at the minute if they would if you are going to maybe be probably a little bit critical of Bohemians it would be that you know already giving that players a chance to be competitive by training in the mornings and having a proper schedule like a full-time schedule the way the likes of Galway are but Galway are going to get a bit of an investment um, and, and you can see them that they, they might start pushing in Caulfield I, Paul touched on it as well Caulfield knows when to turn the, the screw in terms of being right we need to be difficult to be here we need to go and sell a stall and, and try and go and, and build into a game and and I think Galway are comfortable with, with, with John doing that in certain games and then other games they're just going to go and blitz teams at home so um, it makes for an entry I, th- I do think it's a three horse race I do think it's between Cork uh, Galway and, and Waterford but I'd imagine Waterford will come come at some stage yeah, and the Women's National League, I think, was also viewed as a three-horse race with uh, Shelburne, Peamount and Wexford. But a few uh, a few results have thrown that uh, thrown that into doubt. And also there was the case, um, Jim, of the ineligible player. Um, so the opening day game between Peamount and, and Sligo Rovers, a historic game yeah. for Sligo Rovers, where um, it was their, their first game in the league, lost 6-0 at Peamount. That was sort of expected anyway, because just how strong P-Mount are and this is Sligo's first game but what yeah. has happened uh, P-Mount fielded an ineligible player just to get that word out yeah, and uh, that has been turned into a 3-0 result uh, for Sligo so uh, that like Sligo have made a reasonably good start actually even if you take that kind of result away um, Jim Yeah I think they, they had a couple of defeats after that but then I think they went down to Cork and Against on Saturday last, they defended quite well, and I think they were stunned by a late, late goal. So uh, the, the extra three points will push them up the table a couple of places. Um, yeah, look, I mean, hopefully, like I mean, they start they've made a lot of players from around the region playing for them, particularly players from Donegal. Uh, I'd be hopeful that they can at least maybe finish maybe second or third from bottom. You know, that wouldn't be a bad start. You know, for the first year in. Because no, there was, yeah. like, because there was kind of, I know people were very excited in the club to have the women's team involved uh, this year, but they did realise, Steve Feeney, probably the manager realising that, you know, things were going to be tough. But um, I think they've 
made a better than expected a start, uh, start to the campaign, albeit now helped by those extra three points that they thought they wouldn't get. Demand in terms of on the pitch anyway, they, they had a huge 4-0 win over Wexford who were expected to be in title contention. So um, in terms of them still being title favourites, I think that that's not going to change. And then elsewhere um, on Saturday, then Treaty United lost 2-0 at home to Galway. Cork City uh, got a valuable 2-1 win over Bohemians. And then, as you mentioned, Sligo Rovers uh, just missed out against the reigning champion Shelburne. So that was an away mm. trip, nil defeat so that's uh there's no shame in that especially uh when you look at the disparity between the teams but uh this weekend anyway in terms of fixtures in the premier division um we do have midweek games this week so ucd and Derry city um this that's tonight and it's a, a rescheduled game and then finn harps against drahada united and then on tuesday as we've mentioned before sligo rovers versus bohemians and we do have a tv game on friday so st pat's versus dundalk which we can refer to as the stephen o'donnell derby mm-hmm. so that is at 7 45 at richmond park and then shelburne against shamrock rovers that's going to be intriguing um at the same time drahada united against bohemians and then on saturday finn harps against Derry city so a northwest derby there and then sligo rovers at home Home to UCD and then in the first division Treaty United are up against Athlone Town tonight and then Bray Wanderers are up against Treaty United on Friday Cove Ramblers against Waterford also on Friday at 7.45 both of them and then Saturday Galway United against Wexford and then Longford Town against Athlone Town but uh, before we go, there's uh, matters across the uh, other side of the IRC. So first off, uh, Matt Doherty um, scoring for Spurs and a 5-1 win over Newcastle United. And then Chidozi Ogbeni also finding the target for Rotherham United in the Football League trophy or it's to give it its actual current name, the Papa John's uh, trophy, which just sounds kind of weird, <laughs> weird to say. But uh, Rotherham United beating Southern United in extra time, a great goal as well. I suppose... Um, uh, Graham to start off with Matt Doherty he's been in brilliant form prior to the international break and he just seems to have carried it on and I saw him talking about um, the difficult time he had under Jose Mourinho when he was being left out of match day squads and it's a world away from that and it, I suppose it goes back to what um, Paul was saying about Andy Lyons like the shackles being taken off that whole kind of you know wing backs under Antonio Conte being given license to to get forward and get in among the amongst the goals. Yeah, and I think he's, Matt Doherty gave a simple answer, didn't he? He says, I need to be at the back post defending when, when I need to be, and I need to be at the the opposition's back post when we're attacking. And, and you know, it's a simple message, but it's a hard thing to do because it's a it's a good 120-yard run that, you know. So um, the fact that he has the fitness, but the, also the mental strength to want to do it, I, I, you know, I, I think he's shown great patience and maturity here because when Mourinho obviously didn't treat him well and left him on the bus and things like that. And Joel Edley came to him and said, you're not going to be in the squad. And there was kids in ahead of him. It's easy for a player and your pride kicks in to go, you know, I'm not having this or I'm going to walk. And he didn't. He, he stayed with it. Um, when Nuno came in then, who would have worked with my Wolves, he probably would have thought, I'm okay here. I have a manager here who knows me. And and, and then he didn't play him. But he, he showed great maturity. And, um, the, and obviously Conte's taken to him and pushed him. We were saying afterwards that maybe he needs that type of manager that someone's on him all the time to make sure he's watching them and pushing them all the time. But sports were excellent yesterday. Really, really good. His contribution was brilliant to the game. He set up one and he was in at the back post to score off a hurricane cross that they all missed. Um, Son missed as well. And then he's just opportunistic and he's in at the back post. And um, 
He was playing opposition for 70 minutes of the game as well. He played as a left wing back, so he's willing to do a job for the team. And I think that's why Conte likes him in that he's willing to put the team first. So it was a great weekend for, for Matt Doherty in that sense. Yeah, and putting the team first, um, that's something I think Chidozio Ben has also been praised for in terms of being willing to take up um, different positions. He obviously plays as a, normally plays as a right wing back for Rotherham and uh, for Ireland then plays a bit further forward, but seems to have adapted. I suppose Paul, um, as we were talking to Stephen Elliott last week, he was saying that he kind of saw him being like potentially able to play a couple of levels above, potentially even Premier League clubs could be looking at him. Um, but let's say if Rotherham United were to get promoted and they're in a reasonably good position in League One and they do go up to the Championship, is it better for him to stay exactly where he is or should he entertain offers, say if a Premier League club comes in, but then there's the risk of potentially game time not being as, uh, I suppose, as guaranteed as it would be at Rotherham? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> that jump from League One to Premier League is is monumental, uh, and and to go from playing for Rotherham week in week out to maybe expecting to, to get minutes in the Premier League for me is unrealistic, and uh, you know it, it's maybe looking at what's the next step up the ladder. The thing with Rotherham that you would say, Raf, is they tend to be a bit of a yo-yo club between the Championship and League One, and maybe his next move is that he needs to get into maybe a more established Championship side. Uh, one that's maybe looking to to fight for playoffs or promotion. And that for me would be a realistic next step for him. I think what he's shown with the international team is, is that he has the potential to go up a gear and, and playing the likes of a Belgium or a Portugal. He's shown that he can absolutely mix it. And he's one of those players that, you know, Stephen Kenny, when he's gone in and when he's been at the likes of Dundalk, it, it tends to be those attacking players that really tend to flourish and tend to get that that extra bit of confidence in their game. And you can see that with Intradose. And you just have to look at the strike yesterday. It's maybe something that another player might just look to shift out wide and, and maybe then join in and, and get in the box. But he's just got out of his feet. And you can see that he has so much confidence in his game at the moment that he's just able to let rip. And he caught it really sweetly. And, uh, you know, it, at that stage of the game, it was, it was enough to go on and win it. So for me, uh, yes, he has shown that he's capable. To do it week in, week out is, is probably the next step at a, at a higher level. Premier League is, is, is too big a step for me. It's, it's looking, okay, where's the next step within the championship potentially, if that is going to be a move away. Yeah, and in terms of the highest level you can get in the Premier League, obviously there's a huge game on Sunday at 4.30, which is uh, Manchester City versus Liverpool, both of them in Champions League action. And uh, then they do meet again in the FA Cup six days later. So it's kind of intriguing City having a one-point lead after both teams won 2-0 at the weekend against Watford and Burnley, respectively. But... um, Graham, I suppose when we're coming into that, coming into this fixture on Sunday, the momentum seems to be with Liverpool. I mean, they've won their last 10 league games and uh, barely conceded, I think two goals conceded, eight clean sheets, whereas City have probably had the more recent drop off of the two. If if you can call it that, it's it's just a ridiculous pace these two teams are setting at the minute. It's scary. Um, Liverpool have actually probably. When you, re- when you reel off them stats that you said there, it, it's phenomenal, but they've been probably giving up chances and there's been a couple of games where they haven't really performed and that's the scary bit. But for some reason, in these games, Liverpool tend to perform. Um, and they knocked Man City out of the Champions League a couple of years ago over two legs and they absolutely blitzed them. And it was the one time that i probably seen um, Guardiola restrict his fullbacks a little bit because he and I and I even watched the documentary when he spoke about it. He said the front three of Liverpool really scared him. 
because they, they played in them channels on, on the inside of the centre backs and or sorry on the outside of the centre backs on the inside of the full backs. So we was one of those comments that stuck with me that he says he's worries about the front three and he, I think he pulls his fullbacks in a little bit. But Man City have some unbelievable players. The game at Anfield was brilliant. Um, to all, Foden was the difference for Man City on the day. Um, it, it just makes for an intriguing game because I think City probably have the easier to run in in terms of the fixtures that they have. And But with the with the form that Liverpool are on, it just feels like they're going to run over everybody by hook or by crook, whether they whether they play well or not. They're going to find a way to win, and that I think that comes with more experience. And they have an authority about them now that the likes of Van Dijk, Fabinho, Henderson, they make sure that the team don't drop off in in the small details of their appetite, their hunger, their attitude, that they're relentless. Um, but Man City are, are a fantastic team. They're a wonderful unit. They're just the machine like, and that they just keep rolling, keep moving the ball. Don't change things too much. So it makes for an intriguing game on Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Paul, in terms of the way the forward lines will be named, because obviously Liverpool with Luis Diaz coming in, they have, a, they have a few more options now. So the front three that we would have been talking about two or three years ago, there are other, Jota has obviously come in as well and really kind of staked his claim. Firmino's probably dropped off that little bit. For Liverpool, how do you expect Klopp to go um, in terms of that front three and which one or which of the five he selects? Yeah, it's a good question because what Klopp has done really well is he shuffled the pack uh, over the last kind of weeks and months in order to, to keep people fresh. I think the one thing that has probably hurt Man City uh, and, and Graham has touched on it there is pace. Uh, and I, I'd be very surprised if Salah and Mane aren't just givens that they'll start and it's probably the one that goes with them. I personally think Jota should play. Uh, I think he just coughs up goals from from chances that you probably don't see a chance being. Uh, he's good with his head. He can run in behind. And the legs are, are the one thing that cause City problems. And, and what you probably would expect is that Liverpool will be happy enough for Man City to have, by and large, the majority of the possession at the Eddie had and then go to counter-attack. And what better three to, to go and, and counter-attack with? And Jota's in good form. He's scoring goals. I was looking at a stat in the weekend. Salah scored 20 league goals already this year, which is crazy because he's that sometimes goes under the radar and then Mane has always always caused problems so that's the three I would expect uh, Liverpool to go with I, I did hear a stat in the weekend I think it was that Liverpool have only won one of their last 10 at the Etihad and uh, a draw actually might be enough for City with the form they're in and you look at the running you think outside of that Liverpool game they, they probably don't look like they'll, they'll lose or, or draw a game so um yeah, it, it, listen, it's an amazing spectacle. The run is going to be huge. The FA Cup game they have against each other, the Champions League, who's to say they won't go on to the final on that competition, both sides. Um, so for, for the league, with eight games left, it's it's a huge game to look forward to. Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, right. yeah, sorry, yeah. go on, go on, Jim. Yeah, like, I mean, back in the 2018-19 season, I think both Liverpool and City won their last 12 games. You know, I, I think Sunday is going to decide it because I, I think the winner, even if, if City even were to get a draw, uh, but I, I think definitely the winner on Sunday is then capable of winning all their remaining seven games. And definitely City's running is a lot easier because I'm just looking at Liverpool's run in here. They've got Man United on the 19th of April. I know they're out of sorts, Man United, but it could be the type of game that they could go to Anfield and get something out of. You know, how poor or how average they've been. Liverpool also have got Aston Villa where, you know, the Stephen Gerrard uh, uh, influence there. And then they've got Spurs at home on the third last game of the season. Spurs, you know, could be 
pushing really hard to cement that fourth spot as well. So I I do think Sunday could be could be the start of a very, very exciting trilogy that could end with Liverpool and City meeting in Paris on the 28th of May in the Champions League final as well. Yeah, but before that, both of them have Champions League action on Tuesday. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, City yeah. against Atletico and Liverpool mm-hmm. against Benfica. But I, I suppose, Jim, they're kind of used, I suppose both clubs are at that point where they are used to, you know, the interruption of midweek games anyway. So it shouldn't really have yeah. an impact. No, I mean, Liverpool and City play on Tuesday. I think it's five days then till their, to the game on Sunday. So, uh, But then they've, they've got the second legs in, in three days later and then three days later, the cup match. Um, I think Liverpool's Champions League game against Benfica is 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 the easier one. <clears throat> you know, City going to Atletico that could be that could be a bit a bit tougher. All right, I think. Yeah, and the Champions League, which is going to be live as as always on Tuesday on RT Two and the RT Player, so that is there to look forward to. And also, as I said earlier, the TV game in the League of Ireland this Friday it is St Pat's versus Dundalk, so seven thirty on Friday. So another one to look forward to. But uh, Jim, thanks for coming on, and also no best of luck, best of luck with thanks. your play as well. <coughs> thanks very much. Thanks, and uh, Graham yeah, and Paul, thanks, thanks a mil, thanks a mil for coming on. And uh, yeah, we've a lot of uh, fixtures to look forward to, and obviously a World Cup in six months as we were or six well more than six months now seven months yeah. uh, it should it should be in a normal circumstances two months away but yeah uh, unfortunately uh, circumstances dictate we have to wait a little bit longer than usual this time but anyway lads thanks a mil for coming on okay Bye. thanks Raph.